Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast, sponsored by the Maryland Association of Counties. After a brief hiatus, we are back in the saddle. My name is Kevin Canale, the policy associate here at the Maryland Association of Counties, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, MAKO's Executive Director, Michael Sanderson. And Michael, it feels good to be back. Uh, Kevin, it is great to have you back, and it's uh, good to be back on the air. Absolutely. I, uh, as many of you know, I got married a few weeks ago, went on a honeymoon. All was great. The wedding was great. The honeymoon was great. Um, rested, relaxed, and, and ready to get back. Right. They, that old saying, you're, you're looking tan, rested, and ready. They got I, you all I, geared up. I hope so. That was the goal. <laughs> so uh, today on our podcast, we are going to sort of give a recap of things that we have talked about on previous episodes. So we're going to hit on updates on school funding, federal tax reform, and the state's fiscal situation. And we're going to start with school funding. And there have been some major developments in school funding, particularly uh, with the Kerwin Commission. And, uh, you know, I was out of town, but I was, I was plugged in. And, Michael, you that's were here. Terrible. I know. I that's, know. that's terrible. Unacceptable. <laughs> uh, Michael, you were here. You saw what happened. It's a big deal. Sure. When, you know, when we last talked about school funding, we spent some time on the podcast talking about this. And we've been writing about it on the Conduit Street blog and newsletter. Uh, as of a few weeks ago, we were here sort of wringing our hands saying this commission has an awful lot of work to do to come up with final recommendations on fiscal issues in time for the 2018 session. And we were, I think we were sort of saying this may be a coin toss, whether they can get all this work done by the end of the year. Right. And, and the idea was, again, they wanted to get this done before the 2018 session. But in the last meeting, Dr. Kerwin uh, made comments saying that the commission would not be ready to make their recommendations by December. However, they are going to continue to meet until the 2018 session, and they want to get a lot of the work done as much as they can. So this is still an issue. So it's it's kind of it's a weird two part message. Uh, the the part that goes above the fold is commission won't be ready. And so you've got lots of stakeholders who have been watching this closely, attending every meeting and you know, dutifully taking notes and talking to one another about what's going to happen as an election year topic. Well, I mean, a lot of us were anticipating this might be the highest profile legislative debate for the 18 session, which is the election year. So we've all been circling that date on the calendar, the big, you know, big Kerwin debate in 2018. Now it's rolled back to 19. So your first inclination is, wow, the, the commission's just punting. Nothing's happening on school funding now. But you look at their calendar for the next couple of months, and that kind of goes in the other direction. Yeah, so they'll be meeting regularly. They want to come up with some some guidelines. Uh, you know, put it simply, if we spend this much money, what kind of in, what kind of return are we going to get on that investment? They want to work all of those details out, or as as many as they can. And I think essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. the idea here was. We don't want to make recommendations and not have a way to pay for them. Yeah, we, we, we heard some some pretty responsible language coming from both you know, Chairman Kerwin and other members of the commission using phrases like, we want to get this right rather than get it done fast. Right. So that's, you know, I mean, hats off to them for, for having, having an attitude of, of bringing it all together when it's together, you know. Yeah, so as we said, they are going to continue to meet until the 2018 session. They'll then break for session and plan on coming back in the spring. Um, and we do anticipate their work to be done in 2019. So while this is, uh, you know, quote unquote, punted for now, this is still a very important issue that could have a major impact on counties. 
We're going to continue to work on this. We're going to continue to stay plugged in and engaged with other stakeholders. You can always follow the latest developments on our Conduit Street blog. So, so all that goes for the big picture issues that the Kerwin Commission has been charged with, these broad, broad issues of achievement and excellence in the schools across the state. And that's, I mean, that's their mission is to be thinking big picture and so forth. I, I think with with the commission taking until 19 for legislation, that doesn't necessarily rule out that we'll still be talking about school funding in one way or another in the 18 session. Right. So a couple of issues that could come up in the 18 session uh, are things like pre-K and tying uh, gaming revenue to, to education. So, yeah, pre-kindergarten has been... I think this has been a, a nationwide issue that that lots of states have been looking at expanding offerings for for four and three year olds, uh, where they've you know, lots and lots of families have kids in daycare or you know th- those kind of relationships that have some degree of education, and then some families opt in for some you know some more structured you know, pre kindergarten or nursery school or thing you know when I grew, grew up it was called nursery school right yeah. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> but um, but uh, the idea of pre kindergarten has really taken off in the last decade or so I think guided by a good deal of academic work suggesting that. Brain development in the first five years or so is really critical for kids. So, you know, investing in them while they're three and four years old may be one of those return on investment kind of, uh, you know, kind of calculations where you you do right by kids who are three and four, and it turns out um, you, you you get returns back later. Yeah, and I can say, you know, being at all the meetings and being plugged in, this is one of the issues that there was, you know, seemingly general consensus on that we need to at least make pre-K available to all four-year-olds in the state. Three-year-olds was still being discussed, but I do think that this is an issue that we could see in the 19th session. Yeah, I mean, it does. It, it sort of lands right in the perfect channel as an election year kind of issue. Uh, there were whispers of this in the last election year, but it never really took full form. So, so maybe this is this coming year could be a setting for that to happen. And you use that keyword access, and boy, have they been beating that issue up when talking about this at the Kerwin Commission. That they're not talking about forcing every family to put their four-year-olds into state-run schools right. for any particular period of time. This isn't compulsory attendance anyone's talking about, but. They don't want kids to go without a schooling opportunity at age four just for lack of family resources. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that, that again, that does seem like an issue primed uh, for an election year. And, and we also have this other issue, Michael, and, and you were around uh, when this became an issue a few years ago with slot revenue. Now we're talking about uh, the potential to tie gaming revenue in Maryland. You know, we have a number of casinos now. They want to, there's potential to tie the gaming revenue to new school money. So can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit and, and what you see here? Yeah, I, th- I think it's possible. This is a topic that the Kerwin Commission has not spoken to, but um, among the ideas floating around for how do you – what are your pay-fors? Right? This, this phrase, as we've been talking about federal tax reform, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a big term in Washington. Maybe we'll pick it up here. But how, how do you pay for these commitments, whether it's pre-K or whether it's um, you know, other adjustments in school funding in one way or another, in special ed or other, other areas where we want to make gains and the, commission, the Kerwin Commission has these, these ideas – One thought that may very well be prominent this legislative session, even in advance of the Kerwin Commission, is a stronger tie between 
uh, gambling revenue and K through 12 formula funding. But the intermediary here is we have an education trust fund that's supported by gaming revenue. Right. So it seems like that is an easy issue for legislators to say, hey, this is not going to be controversial, asking people to say, we're going to take this gaming revenue and we want to make sure that we're tying it to education, especially in an election year. Sounds like a, a good idea, you know, from a legislator's perspective. Yeah, I, I, I think um, this is a phrase where, you know, we could use on just about every tricky issue, the devil's in the details. Right. Okay, so, so let's pop up one little devil. Um, right now, if you have a school funding formula that says this is what it takes to educate kids at a high level and these are the adjustments you make for a variety of reasons, and then your formula comes up with here are the dollars. And that formula just naturally advances year by year. We see it all the time. The growth in school funding is $160 million bucks for the coming year. We, you know, That's how school funding tends to work. Well, if you attach an add-on piece and say, we're just going to take half the money that comes from slots and, re- and gaming revenues and put that to education on top, now you've added a new dimension that's got nothing to do with what it takes to educate kids. So what if people lose a little bit of interest in playing the slots and playing blackjack and table games and so forth? What if our, our gaming revenue drops from year to year? Then suddenly do you say, well, I guess it's just going to have to be less money for the kids this year, and we're going to reduce our commitment that year because that's what happened to gaming revenues? Right, so we don't want to use gaming revenue as a crutch. <laughs> so that, I mean, so there's 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 two edges to this. Um, when things are going well, everybody might rally, all the education advocates would rally behind, we want that largesse to benefit the schools, but things don't always go well in any given revenue source. Right. So do you see any other options on how you could formulate this to, to you know, avoid that issue? Yeah. I don't I don't think we have any idea where this pitch lands. We've got, we know there are advocates who like this idea on paper, we're not sure um, once it, you know, we're not sure if this is a fully formed idea. So is this is this ball going to head to the strike zone, or is this mm. is this like an intentional walk pitch that goes eight feet away deliberately and no one's even swinging? Right, and I, you know, it's a perfect transition to our next topic. Speaking of liking things on paper <laughs> and the devil being in the details, we're going to go ahead after the break and get into federal tax reform. Uh, this is another issue that is gaining steam. Uh, We certainly have some updates for you there, and we'll get into that after the break. We are back, uh, back here, Kevin Canale with Michael Sanderson, and as alluded to before the break, we're now going to get into an update on federal tax reform. So the Republican-led effort in Congress to pass a $1.5 trillion tax cut uh, and deliver President Trump his first major victory, uh, legislative victory at least, uh, is moving. And essentially right now, the House of Representatives, they are they're moving their bill, they're working their bill. We expect the Senate uh, to drop their version of this bill very soon. But, Michael, it seems to me that this is an issue where most Republicans agree that you know, they want a tax cut. But when you start whittling this down 
and you start seeing again like we said earlier the devil in the details you're dropping you're losing more and more support each one of these broad issues that you bring up so we're talking about salt we're talking about various other deductions what's happening now in congress i know you've been following this we've been following this at mako the national association of counties has been following this what 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 do we know uh, as of today well, we don't know a ton, and, and you and I are speaking from, from a tricky spot because this is not our strong suit, and we'll confess that. We are, we are creatures of the Annapolis swamp uh, as opposed to the, to the one down the road. But and we're doing our best to follow this issue because there are potentially profound impacts on Maryland residents and potentially on the state and local governments here in Maryland. So, I mean, all that is, is part of our beat. What, what seems to be happening right now as, as, we, uh, as we record this on Thursday, uh, the House of Representatives Ways and Means Committee is where the action is. They've spent a couple of days in their markup sessions uh, going through a variety of proposed amendments. Um, most of this seems to be basically partisan splits. The really interesting debate, though, is the fracturing within the Republican caucus. Right. And and you need, I mean, this is less of an issue mathematically in the House than it is in the U.S. Senate. We haven't yet seen the Senate proposal. We can talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. But in general, just about every elected Republican is in favor on paper with let's do tax reform, let's do tax cuts. Uh, they like the idea of bringing down the corporate tax rate and trying to be internationally more competitive. The things that we talked about in, in round one discussing this issue, all that stuff's super popular. Once you put stuff into a bill to make it work and make it not blow up the federal deficit, then you end up with those details. And right now it turns into what are the lists, uh, what, what's the list of deductions that right now you can make on your taxes as an individual that you wouldn't be able to or would be capped. And, and that's where stop, it gets tough. Let me stop you there yeah. because I think we, it's important that the first issue we're going to talk about is SALT. State and local taxes. And we were talking with someone yesterday, and you gave a great explanation on why SALT is important. And I think it's, it would be great for our listeners to hear that, that sort of, um, you know, just really quick and, and fast explanation. And it, it's, it's great because now you can walk around and, and talk about this without getting too deep in the weeds. Well, I mean, tax policy tends to be really thick. And, and we've had a member of Congress sit with a copy of the tax code in front of his desk as a way to demonstrate to people who, who are watching on TV or on the Internet, you know, all these convoluted regs and so forth. But there's one principle of federal taxation that actually is pretty intuitive. So the idea is how much of your income ought to be taxable. Right. We, we don't start taxing at the federal or the state level. We don't start taxing on the first dollar you earn. There's a general concept saying of the income you bring in, um, we ought to set aside a certain share of it as basically occupied, that you're using that money on absolute essentials. And if that's the case, that money's not really available to you uh, as discretionary or flexible income. So that's why you have things like the personal exemption and you have deductions from your income uh, on to, to determine what should be taxable. So this whole framework is about what 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 money is in your hands reasonable to be taxed so right. yeah so so you don't start at you know you don't start on at zero like you said so there are certain expenses that i need to live and the idea is 
I'm not going to have that money for discretionary spending. It's money that necessarily I need right. for just general living expenses. And so we, right. we don't start taxing until we're talking about things that maybe I don't need. Right. And, and like a classic example that almost everybody would agree with is if you've got big health care costs and you itemize, now I was in the hospital or I have expensive medication and I may have earned $50,000, but I actually spent $12,000 on, on medical costs the federal government does what most people would say is the right thing and says, well, we shouldn't charge tax on that money because that's not really your flexible money to spend. If a big chunk of your income went to medical costs and you itemize that, you deduct it, and we'll start the, we'll start the tax clock later. In this argument, it's perfect for, okay, well, if I'm paying my state and local taxes, that money is not available to me. Exactly. So why should I be taxed on it? So that's, that's exactly the same argument. If you buy this general idea that you should tax on, on the, you know, only on the dollars that are after you've taken care of the absolute basics, on the money that's in your hands, you have to pay your state and local taxes, your property tax or your income tax. So why would you why would you say that money's not in your hands? It's already gone, but we're going to tax you on it anyway. And and so now we're getting to salt. This is again, this is one of the issues in this tax bill. And Michael, it seems like we have a watered down version of what we were worried about the last time we talked about this issue on a podcast. Yeah, I, I think actually both of the the topics we we spent some time on a few weeks ago. Uh, have have changed, and I think I think in all fairness, hats off to the National Association of Counties, uh, the other groups who represent state and local governments, and who represent homeowners who could have been affected really dramatically, and folks who are concerned about infrastructure investments. Uh, when we were talking about state and local bonds, neither of those items are anywhere near as bad as we had feared they could be. Yeah, there has been a massive campaign on the news and social media. And again, hats off to NACO and all the other organizations looking out for state and local governments because they have really uh, put you know Congress's feet to the fire and made this an issue and put a lot of pressure. And now we're seeing some results. Yeah, but, but it's, it's still the, the framework for this tax reform that the House is looking at right now still remains we want to bring down the tax rates we want to increase the standard deduction uh, that folks who don't itemize can take and wipe out you know, wipe out their income from being taxable and and in order to make this whole thing relatively balanceable and there's you know there's questions about how how close to to how close to balance this is but as to make it close to revenue neutral you need to wipe out or reduce or cap lots of the individual deductions and that's where salt is still in play a bit and on on, on state and local municipal bonds um, still in play a little bit neither one of those are quite the issue where they started but they're both in play in in both cases the, the the federal proposal would be to limit the the number of things uh, that can be that can be deducted. So they're still in play, but it's not affecting quite the the wide swath of folks we thought before. So uh, just to recap, that the House version right now would cut individual and corporate tax rates and repeal the estate tax, and it would pay for all of that by eliminating various deductions. Right. So so, so now we have the Senate version that's coming, and from what we're hearing. Um, the, the Senate is leaning toward preserving medical expense deduction uh, and the estate tax, which the House version would cut. So can you get into a little bit of the Senate version and 
and how, you know, we don't know, obviously, but how we think, you know, is this going to be an issue that, again, just sort of like what they've tried to do before uh, with health care, where Republicans right. are fractured and they can't move a bill? Boy, the, the echoes of the health care debate are starting to get really obvious here, mm-hmm. aren't they? Mm-hmm. Because among elected Republicans... The number, the number of Republicans who agreed, let's repeal and replace Obamacare, was extraordinarily high. Absolutely. And then once it turned into, well, this is the detail or this is the exact provision or here's what we're going to do, and you score the bill and you end up with you know, 26, 22 million people uh, losing insurance and so forth, you, had, you don't, didn't take many senators with cold feet to, to turn, turn that into uh, you know, a, a dead duck. So... Are we going to see the same thing here? I don't know. The difference between the House and Senate isn't obvious, but it looks like they'll be material. You've already, we're 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 recording on Thursday as the details of the Senate plan are just starting to trickle out. Uh, but it looks like the Senate is learning from the things that are not going great in the House, right. and that's not not a surprise. Another thing that's not a surprise is playing games with the 10-year scoring system that is just the standard rule on federal legislation, different than what we do in Annapolis. Right. So in in Annapolis, we use a one-year scorecard for virtually everything, and we talk about annual effects. Uh, For whatever reason, uh, Congress tends to use 10 years' worth of effects. You add them up, and you consider that to be the aggregate effect of things that you're talking about. Uh, what that's led to at the moment is we're seeing the Senate, both the House and the Senate have various provisions that either phase out or they phase in or they ramp up or things like that, partially in order to meet, to, to affect that 10-year window in a way that's uh, more palatable. Right. So they don't want that to to, to, to look so terrible. So you, you do some quick math and you, you make something phase out, phase in, and, and you can make that look a little bit better. The idea here, the goal here is to get a bill on the president's desk by Christmas. Uh, so a lot of these details need to be ironed out. It's going to take a lot of work with the with Senate and House represent, you know, uh, members to, to, to get this done. But um, at least at where we sit right now, it looks like there are going to be two very different versions of tax cut bills. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens from here. I know NACO is going to stay on top of this, and MAKO in turn will as well. So... We're going to have this on our blog. Uh, Barbara Zektik, who handles tax issues here at MAKO, has done a fantastic series on federal tax reform. It's four parts, and you can look that up on our Conduit Street blog. I know that I learn a lot from it. Um, she, she breaks everything down quickly, uh, saves you a lot of time if you're trying to dig into this issue. Yeah, I, and, and I, I think that's been a really good resource. And, and we've, gotten, we've gotten a lot of guidance from, from NACO, from the Government Finance Officers Association and other, other folks who have been tracking this really closely. I will add one thing, that a piece of this that has yet to come into really clear focus is how much does this affect the government bottom line. I mean, a lot of our talk, particularly about salt, has been uh, how much does this affect Maryland, you know, residents and right. particular homeowners. Um, but but uh, an underplayed part of this is if the feds are really going to propose to almost double the standard deduction, uh, that means that the 
the basically the taxable income base of Marylanders will shrink, right? Uh, just because we fall, you know, quite a lot of the of the state tax structure basically just picks up where the feds left off, and we we make adjustments this way and that way, but we kind of start with the federal tax form as, as the as a starting point. So we haven't yet processed all this. I'm sure you know the, the Department of Legislative Services and, and the, the Governor's Budget Office are busily working on this, but we'll have some tough calls to do as well. If the feds make a change and suddenly, if Maryland does nothing, this costs us a billion dollars in state and local revenue, how do you, how do you adjust for that? Yeah, so obviously some very, very interesting uh, times coming. Uh, intergovernmental relations, uh, for sure, are going to need to take place. And, you know, as Michael said, Maryland is going to have to decide, you know, what it's going to do if it's potentially facing, you know, a billion dollar shortfall um, if Congress does some of the things that they're talking about doing. So, again, keep in touch with MAKO. Keep in touch with the National Association of Counties. You can do that through MAKO. We'll be on top of this. After a short break, we're going to come back and talk about the state's fiscal situation. We do have some updates for you. We'll get into that after the break. back, Kevin Canale with Michael Sanderson. We have talked about uh, school funding issues. We've talked about federal tax reform. Now we're going to get into the state's fiscal outlook. And specifically what we're talking about here, we uh, had mentioned this on a, a previous podcast, the Capital Debt Affordability Committee. We had talked about them meeting. They have met. And uh, Michael, you've been following this closely. What, what do you have for us in terms of updates on the fiscal outlook? So, so the, the big picture here, you know, we, we talked about spending affordability as, as sort of the first, the, the first shoe falls on the state's fiscal situation when you have the big assembled presentation before spending affordability. You bring the two budget committees in. It's a big to-do in the, in the joint hearing room in Annapolis and, and so forth, and everybody's sitting in the audience ruffling through these papers and so forth. It's, it kind of gives you that first snapshot. So, I mean, let's, let's kind of walk through what things look like and how that puts the ball on the tee for, for the session ahead. Right. So this is essentially, you know, the big show, and it's the kickoff for next year's budget debate. So let's yep. go through it, like you said, and, and talk about what's on the table here. So, I mean, I mean, first, to try and define terms a little bit, this is a little bit boring, but I mean, everybody who's ever done a budget, whether it's around around the house or in your community association or, you know, on your school board or whatever, um, everybody kind of understands there becomes a working currency that no matter how big your budget is, you're thinking in terms of a hundred bucks or 10,000 bucks or a million bucks or whatever, kind of depending on what the scale of the operation is. I, I would submit that at the state level, general fund budget is a little more than $17 billion. If you look at all the state funds in the state budget, it's about $30 billion. The, the working currency is sort of a brick of $100 million. And thinking of that as the unit 
I mean, if, if, if you have a budget problem of less than $100 million, it almost rounds to zero. And I know that's, you know, that, that's insulting <laughs> for, 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 yeah, for, for us as individuals or right. our families or whatever. I mean, that, that sounds a little bit silly, but just as a practical matter, um, you know, you have, to, you have to put some more zeros on the numbers to make things matter at the state government level. So, so at our yeah, level, you know, right. if we're balancing a checkbook or whatnot, right. if, you have a, if, if it's a dollar or less, right. it's not an issue. We're not worried, right. Right. So anyway, if you think of a hundred million dollar brick as the as the working units of the currency here, um, the, the the easiest snapshot is well, how do we look for next year if the budget just came in without any real decisions being made? We call that a baseline budget, and it's sort of a useful exercise. No one thinks that the governor is going to put in the baseline budget. But a fair amount of the budget is kind of programmed because there's a formula for school spending and a variety of other things are under formulas. You have the various revenue projections and things like the gas tax is what funds certain things, et cetera, et cetera. And then you could make normal dis- decisions about we just assume that the state agencies are going to grow by 2% or some other reasonable number to account for the cost of living. For things like Medicaid, you make a reasonable guess on how many more people are going to be covered under Medicaid. You run all the numbers on this vanilla stuff, and you get a baseline budget. And that's it's a useful place to start. Some folks have political thoughts about, well, do you assume growth or do you assume zero? The baseline is sort of saying, we're going to keep serving the same people under Medicaid. We're going to keep having the same number of employees, et cetera, et cetera. It keeps it simple. It keeps things uh, standard. And, you know, you can use this from year to year. So, again, that's, right. the, you know, that's yeah. the process. That's the baseline. Yeah. So if you start there. Uh, you run the numbers on what we think the state revenues are going to look like based on what we think the economy is looking like. That's that's a guess, but it's mm-hmm. an educated one. And you, you do this baseline budget on spending. Uh, you can run the numbers, and we find we're about 250 short, $250 million. In a $17-plus billion budget, that is a matter of some consequence, uh, but this isn't like circle the wagons, let's start laying off state employees. Right. So on the, you know, if there's a Richter scale, uh, this is like the, the tiny little earthquake we felt in Howard County earlier, you know, la- you know several days ago, I right. guess, where if you were happened to be standing still right next to the China drawer, maybe, you know, maybe you noticed a little bit of a shake. 250 million bucks just doesn't rate as a monstrous problem. Right. So so that that's kind of the lay of the land. That's the single biggest takeaway number from from this exercise is it, it's not 900, it's not 600, it's 250 and that means there's work to be done. You might have to roll up the sleeves. But you don't need to get the whole team on this. You don't have to round up a posse. And that number was significant, right? Because leading up to this meeting, there were some folks saying, you know, we're going to be short a lot more than two hundred and fifty million. Right, and 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 there's no absolute certainty here. The the board of revenue estimates is going to meet in December. Uh, that's their next scheduled meeting, and they'll they'll look through what's happening with the economy and so forth. And sometimes. That changes revenue numbers by 50, 100 or more. Uh, sometimes that's even more. You know, This time last year, we had a big write-down, and that threw things into higher gear. But at the moment, this doesn't look like a panic situation. So you know, we set our sights accordingly. Um, me, so, so, yeah, mm-hmm. if we're cynical about the upcoming election year, um, this does not look like an issue that would cause waves, right? Because if, if this is not that big of an issue, the $250 million, um, it, it looks like, at least on this front, things could be pretty smooth in 2018, even if we see 
a number of storms on the horizon. Right. Well, that's I mean, that's that's the that's in the back end of the report is if you start by looking at how does FY19 look or how do we start? or How's the vanilla picture uh, when you project things out and you get out several years, uh, that not so bad picture starts to crumble a little bit. And it, it's a variety of things on the spending side. The biggest thing driving spending, believe it or not, even though you've been attending the Kerwin Commission meetings and they're talking about all the new commitments we need to make to education, right. what's really moving the needle on the spending side over the next several years? It's education. It's our our existing commitment under the current formulas, the old Thornton formulas from back in 2002, um, it's those formulas still driving more more funding for education. That's still the number one mover. But the the annual sort of structural deficit, um, if you're this is, this is getting a little bit technical, but if you look at ongoing revenues versus ongoing expenses, that's a way of getting rid of the one year hiccups and looking at it on an ongoing basis. That number starts to drift up over a billion bucks a year when you get out three, four years down the road. So, yeah, there's there's problems on the horizon. But again, uh, I'm told 2018 is an election year. Mm, how about so, that? So it, it it sets up for 18 to not be that tough, and then uh, we'll, we'll we've got some work to do down the road in the next term. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how this all plays out. But at least for the time being, this may not be a heavy issue uh, in 2019. And again or in 2018, excuse me. And again, this is an election year. So as Michael said, down the road, uh, perhaps some some bumps and some storms. But for now, at least, things are looking okay. Let's get into our What's on Tap segment. This is where we preview uh, what's coming in Annapolis. And Michael, what do you have on tap for us? Well, as you know, I have this I have this love for the Spending Affordability Committee. Yeah, um, yeah. So they um, they they had round one, and that was the big picture. Uh, round two is next Tuesday on the fourteenth, and they'll be talking about transportation and about capital issues. And I actually think the conversation about transportation. It is always interesting. Interesting anyway, because uh, the the affordability of transportation projects it just affects so many people's lives. Everybody's really interested. You know, this this highway project has been promised, or we're going to redo this bridge, or I'm worried about this transit line, and so forth. So Marylanders are always really invested in transportation projects, and it's kind of a variable what's going to happen with transportation revenues. They've been a little bit soft the last several years. People are buying more fuel-efficient cars, and we tax by the gallon. There's a variety of reasons why things have been soft. but I don't know how many cars we're selling relative to other years. We'll get a sharper idea about that anyway. Mm-hmm. But in the last few weeks, we've had the governor make a big announcement about he wants to make sort of a public-private partnership type investment into expanded lanes on some of our largest highways. Um, mm-hmm. Does that have repercussions for our ability to afford currently promised projects? Uh, he, he says he doesn't want to use state money. He wants to leverage you know, outside money. So we'll see more detail on that. Uh, he's talked about uh, smart uh, traffic systems as a way to try and improve people's commute. That's an interesting idea. Uh, another one where where's the money come from? How does that come together? And, and, and does it affect projects? So I think we'll see a lot of interest in transportation stuff. And then the, the capital budget, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's buildings and stuff, but Hey, if it's, if it's your school that needs renovation or your kid who's in a trailer and the new school is going to get into a permanent, a permanent classroom or whatever, a lot of folks are deeply invested in, in, uh, in school construction and lots of other things in the capital budget, including county government. So on, on November 14th, part two of spending affordability, I'm excited. Uh, it's very, very, <laughs> very exciting. Um, and I have on tap the 21st Century School Facilities Commission, sometimes referred to as the Not Commission uh, because of its chair. They are also meeting on Tuesday, November 14th. Um, and this is going to be, after this meeting, we ought to have at least some of the framework of what's on the table here. This is the commission that is charged with ex- uh, reviewing existing educational specifications for school construction projects. They're looking at things like best practices for construction um, and that all of the existing projects and projects that they're forecasting out are in line with the needs of 21st century schools. Yeah. Mako has been following this closely, and on Tuesday, things are sort of going to come to a head. Yeah, and, and I think um, the the not commission has, because they had so much work to do, they've broken into two subcommittees that have been working a good deal independently. Mm-hmm. So this coming meeting, on also on the 14th, will be the venue for the two subcommittees to report back on their findings. And that should constitute the bulk of what the commission is going to look at. So they're going to they're take their final vote in December, mm-hmm. but I think next week – we ought to have an idea what's on the menu and the subcommittees report out and these are our seven recommendations and these are our nine recommendations. Okay, now we have an idea of what we're looking at. Interesting idea that's bubbling up from one of the subcommittees uh, seems to be a lot of interest in having sort of a, a maintenance schedule as a requirement for public schools, which we've never had in Maryland. And uh, it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure every stakeholder has digested that idea, but Come Tuesday, I think we're going to have a lot more talk about yeah, that. Yeah, and another interesting idea it seems to be, you know, that they've been talking about is a statewide facilities assessment. So to go through and see exactly what we have, what we need, and that could act as a good uh, starting point. But as Michael said on Tuesday, when these subcommittees uh, report out, we should have an idea of uh, what's on the menu, what they're going to be looking at, and uh, from there uh, possibly glean some uh, some of the recommendations that could come down from the Not Commission. So again, both of our uh, important what's on tap issues are going to happen on Tuesday, November 14th, um, and we look forward to that. We've gone through and reviewed and updated uh, the, the big issues that we've talked here on the podcast. Michael, do you have any closing thoughts before uh, we, we finish up here today? You know, it's around this time of year in Maryland when the weather turns cold. We start hearing from our friends in Western Maryland. They're getting their first bits of snow. Unbelievable. So the cold weather just – for those of us who are Annapolis creatures – um, the cold weather just makes you start thinking about the Mako Winter Conference and about the legislative session that's coming up. So we're excited about both of those things, but we certainly have a whole lot of focus on January, the start of the legislative session, and uh, there's always twists and turns ahead. Yeah, our office is certainly a Twitter uh, with the uh, Winter Conference coming up December 6th through 8th in Cambridge, Maryland. If you haven't signed up, if you're not coming, I don't know what you're doing because this conference is going to be fantastic. So many great educational sessions. We're going to have a general session forecast, uh, a closing session that goes over our four initiatives. There's a lot going on. You can register by uh, going to mdcounties.org. You can call the office. Any of us can help you there. But you need to be in Cambridge December 6th through the 8th. You don't want to miss this. So that'll do it for uh, this podcast today. 
We uh, apologize for the brief hiatus, but I think it was well worth it, <laughs> at least on my end. Uh, so we will, uh, we're, we're going to try and do this on a regular basis uh, leading into session and certainly during session. So with that, we're going to go ahead and close out, and we'll talk to you all soon.